to the City Church Podcast. We hope that you will be abundantly blessed by this message. If you would like to find out more about the city, please log on to our website, www.thecity.sg. And this morning, I want to speak uh, to you on the subject on building altars. On building altars. And let me start with my end in mind. I have a saying when I was growing up uh, to the young people I used to lead and right now to the families here that I've got the privilege of pastoring and that is the altar is a place where our lives can be altered. The altar is a place where our lives can be altered. The altar is a place where our lives can be altered. Can we repeat that after me please? The altar is a place where our lives can be altered. Amen. So let's pray before we start. Father, we thank you for this amazing morning. Thank you for all our friends and God for our family members. And Father, for those who are not here this morning, Father, we ask that you will just refresh them where they are, Lord. Lord, perhaps their children are not feeling well. Perhaps they are traveling. But Father, wherever they are this morning, we pray that the touch of God will be upon them. And Father, we thank you for those who are here. Your word says, do not neglect the gathering together of the saints. And so God, here we are. We are obeying your word, Father, by gathering as often as we can. And Father, we believe that as we gather, you have a blessing for us this morning. So Lord, speak to us from your word. Challenge us, transform us, but don't leave us the same. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to speak to you on building altars. Altars represent the occasion and place where we have a personal encounter with God. The occasion and place where we have a personal encounter with God. For some of us, it could be our youth camps when we were growing up. For some of us, it could be the church we were a part of, the front uh, of the stage where most pastors call that the altar because we give altar calls. And so people walk down and they kneel. In fact, the church where I grew up uh, in, it's called Cornerstone. I was just back there on Thursday, uh, met the pastor on Tuesday. And I uh, had wonderful memories rehearsing on all that God has done. And one of the memories that I have really is uh, the altar on Sunday are always full. Jason will remember because he left his deposit there his mucus and his tears. And for many of us, it's the same thing. We will cry our eyes out because God was speaking to our lives and that was where our lives are being transformed. For some of us, it could be our own personal prayer closet. Like what Andre was saying, he was worshipping God and there was that moment in time where he just felt that songs and the lyrics could no longer articulate how he was feeling on the inside. All he did was shout. And that was an altar that he was building before the Lord. For some of us, it could be our toilet, like Nikki Raibodi, my friend, when he was 18 years old. The Lord came to him visibly, in person, when he was in a shower, full exposure. And gave him a promise that shaped the rest of his life. But friends, whatever your altar is, you have to understand that the altar represents the occasion and place where we have had our personal encounter with God. Our personal encounter with God. This morning, I want to speak to you from the life of Abraham. And Abraham, in his lifetime, built at least five altars. At least five I want to speak to you on the five altars in the life of Abraham. Now, Abraham was once an idol worshipper. 
Like many of us, when the Lord called him to leave the earth of the Chaldeans and began a journey of faith. And we all know the story. In the end, Abraham became a father of faith and he became a friend of God. And I think it's the same for many of us here. We're all on this incredible journey. Most of us were once lost, but it was the grace of God that found us and made us his own possession. I was once an idol worshipper like Abraham. I grew up wanting to become a spiritual, a spiritist medium. My parents were once serving in the temples, and I'm not making any slight remark on other faith, but just to say that when I was in that faith, it didn't bring me purpose and meaning. Some of you may find purpose and meaning in different religion, but as far as I'm concerned, it's when I encountered the living God that my life was totally transformed and I began this incredible journey like Abraham. The blood of Jesus cleansed me. The blood of Jesus gave me a brand new start. He gave me purpose. He gave me hope. He took away my stuttering. He put in me a sense of destiny. He used me to start new things and to push new grounds. And it's all because of the grace of God, like Abraham. And I pray this morning that we will not be static in our Christian life. Abraham built five altars in his life and each altar represents a milestone in our Christian life. It's dynamic. Some of us may build altar, altar number five before we build altar number one, or some of us may build altar number three. So don't see this sermon as a linear progression because the Christian life is very dynamic. But there are five altars that Abraham built. So the first altar is found in Genesis chapter 12, verses 5 to 7. It was shortly after Abraham left the earth of the Chaldeans. And so let's read the verses on the screen. And once again, thank you, Yao Sheng, for doing an amazing job. Uh, as, as we go along, you will love his PowerPoint. He's just simply amazing. Verse 5, He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lord, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran. And they set out for the land of Canaan and they arrived there. Now, you have to understand that Abraham heard God's voice. He was at that point still an idol worshipper, but he was a seeker of God. God came to him and in response to what the Lord said, to leave your family, to leave your land, to leave your uh, country. And so in response to that, Abraham took Sarai, his nephew, all his possessions, and they set out for the land of Canaan, the promise of God. Canaan, the promised land. And they arrived there. So which means even before Israel took possession of Canaan, Abraham arrived there. Verse 6, Abraham traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Moreh at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. So Abraham was in the land of promise, but there were still enemies in the land. Verse 7, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, To your offspring I will give this land. Are you with me? He was in the land. And the Lord came to him and said, To your offspring. This is the second time the Lord came to Abraham and God made Abraham a promise. And the Bible tells us he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. The first altar that Abraham built, and one of the altars we must build, is the altar of promise. The altar of promise. Abraham built an altar of promise, listen, in the midst of his enemies. 
It's an alternate promise. He has not taken possession of the land yet. But God came to him and made a promise to him in the midst of his enemies that one day his offspring would dispossess. See friends, the enemy's resistance in our lives is very real. Very, very real. And sometimes when God makes us a promise, it may seem impossible for us to attain. Look around you, all the opposition, all the giants, all, uh, all the barriers, all the challenges. It seems like the promise seems too far-fetched. Now it's just Abraham, his wife Sarai, who wasn't really a fighter, his nephew who was really a man of the world. And he looked around and said, I've given you this land. And in his mind, he has got no children yet. God, my offspring, how do I even possess this land? See friends, sometimes God makes us a promise, but He will test us. Remember Joseph? The Bible tells us that the promise of the Lord or the word of the Lord tested Joseph. God makes Joseph a promise, but Joseph had to go through the pit to Potiphar's house, into the prison, and for 13 years, the promise seemed so far away. His last hope, the cupbearer forgot him. The promise seems so far-fetched. The enemy is coming hard after us. But you have to understand that God's promise will always be tested. Amen. He will always be tested. I believe God has made promises to all of us. All. If you are a believer this morning, God has made precious promises to you, to, your cho- uh, to you concerning your children, to you concerning your uh, family, to you concerning your business. Perhaps God has made promises to us. But all these promises will be tested. If you use your physical eyes to look around, it may seem so far-fetched. It's, it can't happen. But listen, I've learned a few things about the testings of the Lord in my life. I'll share a few quick one-liners with you, okay? I believe the testing of faith is there to perfect us. The Bible tells us that trials are part and parcel of life. Count it all joy because when God tests us, it's to perfect us. And there are a few things about tests that is very real. Have you been to an exams or a, or a test? There are a few teachers here and the teachers would walk around and observe your test papers, right? And Christian, for example, and you looked and you know that the answer is wrong. But can you open your mouth? Can teachers open their mouth when they see that the answers were wrong. No, teachers are usually quiet in a test. So sometimes you are going through a trial and you're wondering, God, where are you? I've been looking for you. I thought you are as close to me as at the mention of your name. I thought that you will never leave me, you will never forsake me. But how come when I need you most, you are quiet? Listen, it's a clue that you are in a test and the teacher can't speak when you you are in a test. So count it all joy. Hallelujah! Now, the teacher sets the test not to fail the student, right? Otherwise, that's a sadistic teacher. The teacher sets the test to pass the student so that he can go to the next level. So when you're in a test, that's why James says, count it all joy. Yay! I'm in a test which means that the next step is promotion. Hallelujah! Have you realized that the word testimony starts with T-E-S-T? 
without a test, there wouldn't be a testimony. You want to have a testimony in your life? Embrace opposition. Embrace the onslaught of the enemy. Embrace, because the Lord promised us, even though you may not hear His voice or He may be silent or quiet, that He will never leave you, He will never forsake you. You may feel that the Lord has forgotten you, but hang on to the promises of God, for the Bible tells us they are yes and amen. The Bible tells us that the word of the Lord has gone forth from His mouth. It will not return unto Him void. What has God promised you? God has prom- promised great things for my family. Sometimes I look at my children, they don't seem like what the Lord has promised me. But do you know what? We have to use our eyes of faith and look at them with eyes of faith. Amen. Church is the same thing. The Lord has made amazing promises. We've gone through a few tests. Perhaps your marriage this morning, going through a few tests. But God has made you precious promises. Perhaps your ministry this morning, for some of you, going through a few tests. Perhaps your business this morning is going through a few tests. Regardless, perhaps your family, I believe when you get married, you were praying and the kids come along that the Lord made you powerful promises. Seems so far-fetched. It's being tested right now. But I'm here to encourage you, don't give up. Don't give up. What has the Lord promised us as a church? I believe He has made amazing promises that there will be miracles in this place. Not many yet, but we receive it. God, we press in that His presence, His glory will be in this place. You know, the band, uh, we talk a lot with Desmond, with Christine. Is it the songs? Is it the prayer life? Is it the... But we're going after God's glory. We want to come to a place where the cloud descends and all you see in front of you is haze. But it's not because it's PSI 400 or 500. But it's the glory of the Lord that have come into this place. And the next thing you know is you hit the ground and it's not because you cannot breathe because of the little particles in the air, but it's because of the Shekinah, weightiness, glory of God. We are going after that. And that's why we've been saying, come on, sing, agree. Don't be spectators. Give to the atmosphere. Why? Because we want a glory. We want a glory. The Lord has promised us that we will raise strong children. Every child is uh, an arrow in the quiver and we want to go after that. The, the Lord promised us that the marriages you know, will be thriving and we want to go after that. The Lord promised us that He will use us to make a difference, not just in the marketplace, but in the nations. And we're going after that. Amen. Now, we make mistakes here and there. Uh, we stumble here and there. We may go on a few details here and there. But do you know what? Regardless of how many detours we go, how many times we stumble, the promises of God will not return unto Him void. Will not. It is not subjected to us stumbling or falling. That's what the Bible says, right? The giftings and the calling of God are without reproach or without repentance. Irrevocable. You can't revoke it. The Lord has said it. Concerning your life, your destiny, this church, your business, your family, you know, you can try your best to resist it. Come on. We cannot nullify the promises of God. Amen? So this promise, 
It was BC 4000 probably. It took many years, 1,500 years, 1,000 years for the children of Israel, <laughs> Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Judges, <laughs> I mean, you just go, Joshua, to possess the land. Praise the Lord. So let's build the altar of promise in your life. Amen. He's a promise-keeping God. If you're living a life with, without the promises of God, can I suggest to you that that will be a tough life? Because it is the promises of God that pull us forward. Has God made you a promise? He wants to make you a promise this morning. Some of you are in the later years of your life. Don't live out your, your life promiseless. Go before God and say, God, what is your promise for the next 20 years of my life? Amen. The altar of promise. The second altar that Abraham built, verse 8. The next verse, please. From there he went on toward the hill east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Now underline that uh, last line, and called on the name of the Lord. The first altar that Abraham built was when God made him a promise. God appeared to Abraham, made him a promise. He built an altar and said, God, I built this altar to mark this encounter. But the second altar that Abraham built uh, was an altar that allows him to call on the name of the Lord. I call it the altar of intimacy. The altar of intimacy. In this altar, Abraham was coming to know the Lord uh, as more than just the God of all creation and power. Up to this, this point, that's who God is. You know, it's not just God who make him promises, but, the, but a God whom he can know, a God that he can draw close. He was finding a more intimate familiarity with the Lord. He's calling on the name of the Lord. The Lord is Yahweh in this uh, the Lord is calling the Lord. And it speaks of a, a growing intimacy. Yes, receive God's promise. Yes, we love the promises for our lives and power over the power of darkness. But listen, friends, having promises, receiving power over the enemy is not, say not, a substitute for growing in intimacy with God on a personal level. Possessing the promises, overcoming the enemies, taking possession. These are all wonderful things, but nothing beats building the altar of intimacy. See friends, Abraham's faith was not the fruit of formulas and slogans. It was born out of a growing friendship with God on a personal level. And I want to encourage all of us here. Build that altar of intimacy. It is not a series of formulas, three steps to answered prayer, five things to do to take the promises of the Lord. Now, I know with the recent 
popularity of blogs, right? And this is how we write five things we need to do, do seven uh, challenges. And you know, we like all these, and I'm trying to help us learn. But please understand that it is not when you do five things, then the Lord will do one. Or when you do seven steps, then the Lord will take one step. It doesn't work like that. It is drawing close to know the heart of God, to understand you know, how He thinks or how He feels, and to learn of His ways. We have to build the altar of intimacy. Amen. The next statement marked my life as a young boy. This is really an old message I used to preach to myself and of course the people I used to, to lead. The next state, state, statement marked my life. An intimate walk with God will produce an impacting work among men. An intimate walk with God will produce an impacting work among men. The Lord wants to work in and with and for and through yielded vessels. Do you want to make an impact in the world? There's no way around intimacy. There's no way around intimacy. One of our favorite characters in the Bible. In fact, I think he is the most significant man to ever walk the face of the earth, apart from the God-man, Jesus. His name is Paul. Paul met the Lord on the road to Damascus. He was on, on his way to persecute and to kill Christians and he was known for his zeal for God. Knocked off his donkey, heard the Lord's voice, was blinded and Nias came and prayed for him. Eyes were open. God gave him an assignment and he went after his assignment like a mad man. Man. If only all of us are like Paul. Like a madman. He realized that he didn't even know the Lord, Jesus. He thought that he was actually anti-institution and an establishment. And so he said, I need to know him. And do you know what he did next? He went for a thousand days in the desert of Arabia and did nothing. And there he was seeking the face of God. And the Bible tells us that you know, the, the Lord revealed himself to Paul. To Paul. In fact, the, the verse, is, you know, isn't the Lord revealed Himself to me. He says the Lord revealed Himself in me. A thousand days where He was away from men and He needed to know this God that He was persecuting. And then, of course, because of Barnabas, uh, He was brought before Peter, James, and John, and they didn't appreciate him in the first place. This guy was a madman. He was crazy. And then he said, all right, you guys preach to the Jews. I'll preach to the Greeks and the Gentiles. And off he went, planted churches. Ephesus, Corinth, Antioch, wrote the Bible as we know it, and sent the letters. And it was suicidal. He says, God has said to me, I will stand before Rome. I'll stand before Rome. And his whole life for 40 years, I want to go and stand before Caesar. I want to go. The prophet came and tied his hand and said, if you, if you go, you are like the man who owns this belt. It was Paul's belt. He says, no, the Lord spoke to me. I want to go. I want to go. He was like a madman. <laughs> and yet, he planted churches. He did miracles. He wrote the Bible. He was stoned. Historians believe he died. He came back to life again. That was when he went to the third heaven. And yet, in his last few letters, when he wrote to the church in Philippi, his favorite church, at the end of the day, the cry of 
Paul's heart is that I may know Him. That I may know Him, not that, that I can do more. Not that, that, that I can write a few more letters. Not that I can plant a few more churches. Not that I can perform a few more miracles. Now, as I said, these are all wonderful. But the last words the, of, of a man who knows that he's at the end of his life, it's important. He says that I may know Him. And I want to impress that on this church. Let's go after God's promise. Let's go after God's uh, word promises for our lives with a passion. But nothing beats building the altar of intimacy that I may know Him. That I may know Him. It is from that knowing, the intimate walk with the Lord that you will produce an impacting work among men. Friends, A lot of us, we, God brought me through a four years process of detox from church charity. My whole life is all about, and I believe God honored that. I was back uh, with my pastor and we're just having a chat and tears in our eyes. And I said, I didn't regret those 10 years of pouring my life into the youth ministry. And I said, just to put it bluntly, Pastor, I think because of what we've done, not just me, but the leaders who have laid the foundation of a church for 20, 30 more years, wonderful. But was there a regret? No. Of course, kids didn't miss me. I was just the absentee husband. They feel that I was there. But were there regrets of doing that? No, man. Guys, no. But my whole life up to that point, after we planned this church, was all about church and and it's not wrong, but the Lord had to bring me through this journey of detoxification. Because there are so many church leaders, all they care about is how popular they are, the branding of their church. Now, I love all these things still, right? So please understand me. It's not that these are all wrong. I love it. You know, I love church marketing. I love a nice website, a nice PowerPoint. But it is, what I'm saying is we must put the horse before the cart. The horse is the knowledge of God and allowing God to pull you. And when, and when He revealed to me who He is, everything changes. Everything changes. Come on, church. Jeremiah chapter 9, not on the screen. It's a verse that I think we should underline and frame it up in our house. Jeremiah chapter 9, verses 22 and 23. I spoke this to my life group on Friday. It says here, Thus says the, uh, the Lord, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. Now, these are three things that the Lord says, don't, don't boast. Don't make much of. The word boast means make much of. All right? So don't boast about all these things. Don't make a big deal out of how smart you are, out of how strong you are, out of how rich you are. Now, you can be smart, you can be strong, you can be rich. The word boast is not just boasting, but making much of. And the world makes a big deal out of you know, the Forbes list. Who's the top 400 recently in Forbes? You know, the biggest company, uh, you know, for the Fortune 500 companies. And this is how the world thinks. How big, how smart, how rich. Who is the most innovative CEO after Steve Jobs? And everyone says, oh, it's the Tesla guy. It's, uh, it's Elon Musk. And you know, we like to celebrate all these things. But the Bible says, 
Wow, it's wonderful as all these things are. Don't make much of all, all these things. But what should we make much of? The Bible says, but let those who boast, let him who boasts, boast in this. Boast in this, that he understands and knows me. Boast, make much about the knowledge of God. I want to encourage this church, whenever you meet for lunch, yes, you can discuss the latest trend and the, and the technology that is available and but as Christians, let's make much of the knowledge of God. Talk about His kindness. The Bible says in the next uh, few lines um, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love or kindness. Talk about His justice. Talk about His righteousness on the earth. For the Bible says, for in this I delight, declares the Lord. Declares the Lord. So make much of the kindness of the Lord, the justice of the Lord, the righteousness of the Lord in the world. For in this, the Lord delights. It's a matter of heavy and light. That's how the Jewish mind think. Are you with me? It is not that wisdom, riches, and strength are not important because the Bible says the Lord Jesus is wisdom, knowledge, and strength. No, but in our lives, the weightier matter is the knowledge of God. Amen? All right, so know the, uh, the Lord. The third altar that Abraham built, the third altar is found in Genesis chapter 13, verse 3 and 4. Genesis chapter 13, verse 3 and 4. And I call this the altar of no return. The altar of no return. Now, you have to know the story, all right, before this. Abraham took a side trip to Egypt, the world, right? A representation of the world. And that was a sad commentary on his fear and weakness. It was then that he offered his wife, right? To the king of the land and said, no, it's not my wife, my sister. Fear, weakness, like some men here, right? <laughs> Under attack, push your wife and say, it's my wife. So Abraham was like all of us. But here in verses 3 and 4, let's read, he built the altar of restoration. It says, from the Negev, he went from place to place until he came to Bethel. Hey, yeah. To the place uh, where, where his tent had been earlier. Don't you love that God brings us back to square one? He went on this side trip, detour, make some mistakes, and then came back to square one. And that's how the Lord does don't despise the detours in your life. The Lord brings us back to square one between Bethel and Ai where he built uh, an altar there, where his tent was there. There Abraham called on the name of the Lord. Again, he established that altar and said, God, I, I'm coming back to the altar of intimacy, which is now the altar of no return. Friends, it's important for us to come to a place and time in our lives where we put the stake down and say, God, from this point onward, there'll be no more wandering. This point onward, I'll say goodbye to and all the compromises, all the mediocrity in my life. See, friends, once the stake is driven and once the altar of no return is built in God's presence, something will transpire in the soul that causes us never to leave the assigned purposes of God, never to drift away in pursuit of anything of other interests, anymore. It, it doesn't mean that we wouldn't stumble and fall, but there was just this resolve that, God, I'm coming after you. 
I'm coming after you. And friends, I pray that today, in this milestone service, this church and you and I would draw a line in the sand. Draw that invisible line. How I wish that we were at the beach now. Draw a line in the sand and cross it and say to the Lord, no more mediocre, half-hearted, lukewarm, watered-down Christianity. Come on. Just draw a line, cross it and say, God, draw me today and I'll run hard after you. Draw a line in the sand, cross it and say, as the deer pants for the water, so for the rest of my life, my soul will long after you. Draw a line in the sand, cross it and say, you will forever be my one and holy and pure, magnificent obsession. Draw a line in the sand and cross it and say, the world is now behind me. The cross is now before me. No turning back. We need that. I know it sounds cheesy, but how many of us, our lives are marked in youth camps when the youth preacher would literally pull a tape and we have got to struggle with this reality that once we cross the line, it's no turning back. And many people I was growing up, some of you will re- remember, right? It was growing up and there we were in the seat. The call was given. It was challenging. And there we were struggling, struggling. And with tears running down our eyes, we're saying, God, I'm counting the cost. I'm counting the cost. I'm counting the cost. I'm counting the cost. And then we pick ourselves up and we cross the line and we say, I will follow you. You remember? Change our lives forever. Now, of, of course, then we struggle with the, the, the issue of, oh, am I going back? But li- listen, friends, you remember because it marked your life. I want to start a new grace re- a revolution. I tell you, I really want to start a new grace revolution. What that is, is, is the grace to live a radical Christian life. Not a, a mediocre, half-hearted, lukewarm life that just take up seats on Sunday. That's not the true grace of God. I want to embrace a true grace, grace that gives me freedom, purifies me, know that I'm loved, so that I've, I'm empowered to cross that line and live like Jesus. Friends, For us to make a difference in the world, we have to get out from our seats, be secure in our sonship, know who, exa- who we are in Christ, but also be energized and empowered by the Spirit so that we can cross that line of no return and make a difference in the world. Paul, Peter, James, John, who was crucified. The early fathers who paid the price and there they were asking by their interrogators to renounce Christ. Oh, there goes your family. There goes. See, there's a sense of martyrdom within me. Why? Because that's how the early Christians live. And that's why Christianity has taken the world by storm. That's how the early Christians live. And we think that we are different. We think that they have a lesser revelation of grace. Sorry, I don't, I don't want to go there, but I, know, I appreciate the grace of God. I've never once questioned whether I'm saved. 
I know that I know that I know that I know and I know that I don't have to earn God's approval. I know that I know. But it's from that place of being accepted by the Lord Himself that I said, God, what is the mission? Come on. What's my assignment? You knocked me off my donkey one, one day. So, just to make a, just, just to make a scene? No. You knocked me off my donkey. So, you will stand before Rome. When we move into this place, church, I made a, a, I made a decision in my heart. I'm no longer going to be a man pleaser. I seriously, I made a decision in my heart. And I, as if people don't like <laughs> what I stand for, I'm a loving man, please. But if people don't like what I stand for, there are 700 amazing churches. But it, it, it has to have a certain conviction for me to build this local church. I grew up doing that, calling people to the front, presenting their lives, and there was no sense of guilt trip. I, people know I'm gracious. Look at Andre, look at Jason. They know I'm full of grace and truth. <laughs> it is true. Do I dictate their lives? No. I'll tell them how I feel, but they're free to choose. But there has to come to a point in our Christian life where we draw that line and cross it and say, this is my altar of no return. Why? Because we want to be a church that will transform the world. Not just play games, do some children's ministry. Let's transform the world. Come on, let's transform the world. Milestone! I'm declaring that from this day forward, we exist to transform the world. Not to entertain our Christianity. Not to build the city's brand. No, not to put Daniel Chua on the front page of Charisma magazine. No! Not to have, I don't know, a lot of buildings and God will bless us with all these things but we exist for one sole purpose we want to transform lives we want to transform the world we want to make a difference we want to make our one little life count come on amen milestone right so I'm just preaching my milestone sermon it could be the last time I'm speaking because the whole church says Daniel you're too radical please I want to change pastor (laughs) but you know what it's milestone Let's cross the point of no return, church. Amen? Call a spade a spade. Number four, because I believe it's when we cross the line of no return, verses 17 and 18 of Genesis chapter number 13. Let's read. It says, Go walk the length, the breadth of the land, for I'm giving it to you. So Abraham went to live near the great trees of Mamre at Hebron, where he pitched tents, and there he built an altar to the Lord. His, the Lord says, go walk the, the, the length and the breadth of this land. I believe that day, Abraham built the altar of possession. He built an altar of possession and he says, God is giving me this land. By this prophetic act of walking the length and the breadth of this land, I'm claiming this land for my descendants. I'm claiming this land for my offspring. And friends, we've got to rise up one day and say, God, I'm taking you seriously. I'm claiming the promise 
for my family. I did that with my family. I don't know when the promise will come to pass, but I said to myself, as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Didn't know when it will happen, but it has, praise God. With Jason coming to church at 15, my parents two years ago, God has honored me possessing the promises. Friends, I want to challenge you. Possess the promise. See, it's one thing to have been given a promise. It's another to have a, to have a possessed promise. Now, let me repeat that. This is so good. It's one thing to have a given promise. It's another to have a possessed promise. We don't want to live just from prophecy to prophecy. We want to live from fulfillment to fulfillment. I'm so prophesied out. I mean, people have come to me and I could almost guess what's coming next because God is consistent when He's spoken to your life. But I say, God, praise God, but I want the fulfillment. Come on, God, bring the fulfillment. And I think we are, as I, as I said, as we cross into this land, we will see the fulfillment. And let's, let's believe God. Let's build the altar of fulfillment. But as I close, I want to talk about number five. And that's where I'll camp a little bit longer. Stay with me because I believe this is the most powerful. This is the ultimate altar that Abraham built. And this, is, this will make some of us cringe and uncomfortable. And of course, we can point to the cross. And Jesus, of course, uh, you know, was a fulfillment of this, of this uh, act. But nonetheless, I want all of us to put ourselves in Abraham's shoes when he heard the instruction of the Lord to take your son, your only begotten son, and bring him to the mount and there sacrifice him. Now, you know the story. Abraham, after making a series of mistakes, had a son Ishmael out of the promises of the Lord and for years was barren until he was how old? 99. It was way beyond childbearing years for Sarah and the Lord came and the Lord says, you have a son next year. And of course, Isaac was born. He was the promised child. And if you're in Abraham's shoes and if you are Sarai, of course, you will hold that child so dear to you, right? It's like, God, you have made me amazing promises. This is the offspring. This is the one that will possess the promise. Not Ishmael, but this one. And then all of a sudden, the Lord comes and said, take this one, sacrifice him. I'll be all confused, wouldn't you? I thought... This is the promised child. Why do you want me to sacrifice my precious, the promised child? But you know what Abraham did? This is, this is the most incredible verse. I think it was in chapter 22. And if I'm not wrong, in verse 2, the Bible says, and early the next morning. Now, the Lord gave Abraham uh, an instruction the day before, tomorrow. Now, if I was Abraham, Jack, if I was Abraham, if you were Abraham, I'll snuggle in bed a little bit longer. I'll hold my precious boy and say, let's sleep in a little bit more. Wouldn't we? I'll take him out to the playground a little bit more before I set off on this journey in trying to obey God. But Abraham had none of that. Now, you talk about being radical. You talk about a father of faith. You talk about being a friend of God. Abraham, early the next morning, took his son, his only son. 
This is a whole message by itself. We can talk about worship, we can talk about sacrifice, but friends, I want all of us to take away just one simple point. Let's read verses 9 and 12. When they had reached the place, God had told him, Abraham built an altar there. This was, this, this was the, one, the final one that he built. Uh, no more sins uh, from that point. And arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. Now just go back for, for a while. I was mentioning that this is a type of Christ. Do you, do you know why? Because Isaac was a Noah's age. Isaac was a grown man by that, by that point. He could have easily resisted. But he was a type of Jesus because he simply laid there and allowed the father to slay him. Of course, for Abraham, his story ended well. Next verse, please. But for Jesus, he actually died. Verse 11 says, But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham! And he says, Here I am! Verse 12, do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God. Why? This is the one point I want all of us to take home. Because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. I want all of us, if you have a Bible, highlight that in your iPad, your phone, or in your physical Bible. Because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. God says, I ask you for your most precious possession and you gave it to me. And from this point, I know that I'm more precious to you than your precious possession. I've said this to you guys before. When, when, when I was growing up, there was a song that really impacted me. It was by Bob Fitz. And the song goes something like that. To see your lovely face ever before my eyes. I'm trying to remember the lyric. This is my prayer. Make it my strong desire. In this secret heart. See, no one sees what's in the heart. And the song goes, No other love compares. No, uh, no rival throne survive. I serve only you. And in this secret heart, no other love compares, competes. No rival throne survive. And I serve only you. Friends, we talk about the grace of God. To do that would require every ounce of grace that we can receive from the Lord. Every ounce of grace. Because humanly speaking, no parents can do this, right? And this is grace at its ultimate, friends. When we are enabled by God to love Him with such, there's no such word in the Bible, uh, in the dictionary, but I'll still use it, with such radicality. It is freely given. The Lord didn't say, if you don't do this, I will punish you. No, there was no sense of fear. It was just an act of love. 
It reminds me of a hymn that I used to sing when I was 17 years old, pacing my parents' house in those days. It was a hymn by Francis Havergal. Those of you who are older, you would know this song. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to Thee. Take my moments and my days, let them flow with ceaseless praise. Take my hands and let them move at the impulse of Thy love. Take my feet and let them be swift and beautiful for Thee. Next verse. Take my voice and let them sing always only for my King. Take my lips and let them be filled with messages from Thee. Take my silver and my gold. Not a mite would I withhold. Take my intellect and use every power as Thou shalt chose. Take my will and make it Thine. It shall be no longer mine. Take my heart it is thine own. It shall be thy royal throne. Take my love, my Lord. I pour at thy feet its treasure store. Take myself and I will be ever only all for thee. This is what I sign up for as a Christian. This is what I sign up for. I want to be wholly given, fully surrendered to the one who paid such a high price for my life. And I believe it's only this group of people that can change the world. Can we have the band on the stage, please, as we come to a close? I want to land by talking about something that I think is very uncomfortable for many of us. But I want to challenge that in my own life, in this church, in your life. God, that day, was after the idol in Abraham's life. He wants to make sure that what the Lord has blessed Abraham with is not an idol. See, an idol is anything good that becomes too important to you and me. It's anything good. In one of his books, Watchman, he said that we approach God like little children with open hands, right? Don't we? Begging for gifts. And because he's such a good father, he fills our hands with good things. Life, health, friends, money, success, recognition, marriage, children, nice home, good paying jobs. And all the things we count when we count our blessings. God, I thank you for my loving children. I thank you for a good job. I thank you for prosperity. I thank you for this. I thank you for that. And so like little children, we rejoice in what we have received and run around competing, comparing. Jack, you are more prosperous than me. You have got this credit card. I have got lesser. You, you fly this class of travel, I don't. And we start comparing ourselves with the blessings God has given to us. And when our hands are finally full, God comes to us and God says, My child, I long 
to have friendship with you. Reach out your hand and take mine. Reach out your hand. I long to be like Adam when I was with him and hand in hand, they will pace the gardens. Take my hand and walk. Sounds like some old nouveau song, right? But we can't. Do you know why? Because our hands are full. Full of what? Good things. Full of the blessings, the friends, the family, the children, the full. And the Lord says, come on. I want to hold your hands. I want to walk. And God says, we can't. We cry. And He says, put those things aside and take my hands. No, we can't. It's too hard to put them down. But I'm the one who gave you in the first place, didn't I? Can I give it back to you? But God, oh, we can't. What you've asked of us is just too hard. Please don't ask us to put these things aside. And God answers us quietly, you, you must. You want to build the altar of intimacy, altar of no return, altar of promise, altar of possession. I want to give you a key to powerful Christian living. Total consecration. That's it. I forever remember what you can maybe tell the story better. I've said in the same sermon by Bill Johnson at least 10 times. And he would talk about the price he paid. For 30 years, he was seeking God for the miracle healing power. And for a period of a few months, the Lord would come to him at night and wake him up and have this conversation with him. And Bill will always share this story with tears in his eyes. And he says, whatever it takes at any cost. Whatever it takes at any cost. You want to have a powerful life. See, an idol can also be anything good. Like, can our spouse be an, an idol? Can our spouse be an idol? Can Melina be an idol in your life? Can Elite be an idol in your life? Can Joy be an idol in my life? Of course. I've seen so many. After they get married, their wife becomes like the thing. <laughs> Was unintentional. <laughs> hey, where's your <laughs> could our family be an idol in our lives can it of course could our children be an idol in our lives meanwhile could our children be an idol could Titus be an idol, an idol in my life of course could money be an idol that's an easy one of course could ministry be an idol in our lives? Could ministry be an idol in our lives? Of course. Could our career be? Yes. Nothing wrong with being married, having family, raising kids, making money, having a career. Can education be an idol in, 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 in our lives? Nothing wrong, right? But yes, ministry, making our way around, having something to show, can all, are all this bad? No, it's all good, but... Anything good can become an idol in our lives. And so what's my, what's my challenge for the altar of surrender? This is it. I want all of us to hold lightly what you value greatly. 
because it doesn't belong to you anyway. All the dating couples here, I want to say this to you. <laughs> Hold lightly what you value greatly because it doesn't belong to you anyway. Children will come. Hold lightly what you will value greatly because they don't belong to you anyway. God will prosper your ministry. But hold lightly what you will one day value greatly because it doesn't belong to you anyway. This church will grow in strength and influence. Milestone, right? From this day forward, we will shout for the breakthroughs. But, Daniel, hold lightly what I value greatly because it doesn't belong to me anyway. Some of you, God is going to prosper you greatly. I tell you, I'm just looking at some of you, you will be super rich, super I want to remind you hold lightly what you value greatly because it doesn't belong to you anyway. <laughs> the altar is a place where our lives are altered. Can I suggest this to you that every time we build an altar our lives change. You can't build the altar of surrender without your life change changing. You can't build an altar of no return without your life changing. You can't build an altar of intimacy without your life changing. What altars do you need to build this morning? It's my challenge on this milestone Sunday. Now, if you're looking around for a church, <laughs> this, this, this church may be a bit too consecrated and radical for some of you. But, but if you want to go with us on this journey, welcome. Welcome. And we'll make mistakes together. We'll be challenged by the scriptures together. But if you believe there is more to the Christian life, I want to invite you to join me on this journey. I'll end by saying this. I made a decision before this Sunday. I'm no longer going to be a man pleaser. And neither is this church going to be one size fit all for anyone who would come. Now, if you are struggling with areas crossing the line, we're, we're here to be friends and we want to walk along with you. But we are going to help you and challenge you and, 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 and encourage you to cross that line. We will. That's my commitment to you as a pastor. I want to help you cross that line because of what is beyond that line that I'm excited about. Amen. True fulfillment, true greatness, true wealth, true riches, true prosperity like you've never seen before, never experienced before. Peace and joy like you've never experienced before. The holy ecstasy that the Lord has promised us.